0: Hello and welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 21. I'm Alexander.
1: And I'm Jeanette. And we are a podcast about writing and story.
0: Today's topic is atmosphere.
1: Here to discuss this topic with us is author K.B. Goddard.
0: K.B. has had her Victorian horror-themed stories in such podcasts as The Lift and The Wicked Library Podcast.
1: She was featured in the recent Shadows at the Door Anthology and has written multiple books that will keep you up at night gripping your covers.
0: Welcome K.B. Goddard to the Ninth Story Podcast.
1: Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on. Uh, I feel like our internet circles have intersected so many times with the wicked library and shadows at the door and everything and just like i'm really excited to actually talk to you <laughs> yes
2: yeah, so we, we we keep passing each other on twitter <laughs> yeah <laughs> but now we get to ask, ask
1: you all sorts of questions <laughs> oh dear <laughs> <laughs> but first um, maybe i don't know
0: <laughs> um so Catherine. Can you introduce yourself to the audience and just tell us a little bit more about yourself?
2: Um, Well, I'm a writer of ghost stories, uh, Victorian-style ghost stories. Um, People may have seen me on Shadows at the Door. Uh, I I, I was in their anthology recently, uh, last year. And then I have also been on The Wicked Library and more recently The Lift.
1: And we've been really enjoying your stories in all of those places, but I also wanted to say congratulations on your Parsec Award win.
2: Oh, thank you! <laughs> yes, that was a bit of a surprise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so great. It was for the Wicked Library. Was it also for the Lyft, or was it just the uh, the one? Um,
2: The one that won was actually the Wicked Library. Nice. Um, but we did also have one... One of my stories was also a finalist list with the lift in the same, in the same category. Well, then double
1: congratulations. You beat yourself.
2: <laughs> I beat myself. So I won and lost. Aww. Aww. <laughs> but yay. But I, I,
0: I don't think it's a really a surprise to us because we do really enjoy your work. Um, it's just very atmospheric. It's, which is our, our, our topic today is atmosphere, but, um, and I do I know, just, I just get lost in your stories. I just find them so fascinating.
1: Oh, that's very, that's very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so where did your fascination with classic and I'm guessing Victorian horror come from?
2: I think it, it sort of snuck up on me a, a bit. I, I kind of got into reading Sherlock Holmes when I was a teenager. Nice. And it was that kind of obviously not horror in itself, although Conan Doyle does, does do horror as well um although he's less known for that but it was that kind of language um I found fascinating and then they had I think it was like a sale of old library books they were having a clear out at my school and my sister came home with this collection uh it was a collection that had been put together by David Allen the comedian
1: mm-hmm.
2: but it was like a collection of old ghost stories that he remembered listening to and reading when he was growing up and That's where I first read M.R. James was actually in that collection when I was a kid that my sister brought home. So that was that was one of my introductions. And I do remember sitting in the school library actually when it was cold. I used to go hide in there and sit next to the radiator (laughs) (laughs) because it's it's always cold in Derbyshire. Um, And I remember sitting there reading *The Mask of the Red Death* by Edgar Allan Poe. Nice. So it sort of, it kind of snuck in on me from various directions as I was growing up. And I guess it just kind of stuck with me.
0: And what was the process of the comedian putting together this collection? Is he just a local resident and decided to get involved in that? Or how did that come about?
2: Uh, No, I I don't know whether he's very well known in America. Um, he, He was an Irish comedian. I think he was quite big in Australia as well, but he was pretty big over here. But my mother was Irish. So we grew up kind of watching these Irish comedians and that, and she, she just loved Dave Allen. Uh, he was quite a big name over here in the, sort of the 60s and the 70s and that sort of era. Um, and, and there was like these repeats and things in the 80s. So we kind of grew up watching him. So, of course, the Irish are sort of well-known as storytellers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So they have that kind of connection to literature and that. So it was it was an old book. I don't know... I think it I think the book itself might have been from like the 70s or something but yeah it was just this he just put together these ones that he'd loved growing up and it so yeah the two things got my sister was like oh Dave Allen great ghost stories brilliant uh-huh. so she came home with this book and it kind of yeah that was my first introduction to M.R. James cuz I think they had the rose garden and oh whistle and I'll come to you my lad
1: mm-hmm. we're both in
2: there so yeah that that was my first Dave Allen. Yeah, I don't know if he's known over there.
0: I, I just, that's very interesting that somebody that's known for comedy would put together a ghost story collection.
2: Well, you know, the Irish are, are known for spinning a yarn. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely works.
1: So when did you first start writing stories?
2: Um, I remember I remember actually we we did a topic at school when I was doing my GCSEs, one of our our, um, subjects in English that year was uh, ghost stories. So we studied The Woman in Black by Susan Hill. Mm -hmm. We went to to see the play. They took us down to London to see the play. And part of that, obviously, was that we had to write our own ghost stories as part of the thing. Um, So I, I remember writing a ghost story then, but sort of being interested in it but it didn't really take off till later Mm. I was doing my I was doing a degree with the open university over here and um I decided to take the creative writing courses and my first story that was actually on shadows at the door um reflections on a malady was actually started off as an assignment for my creative writing course Nice. So that so that was probably my first real steps into. I I I kind of like doing this. I might I might try this professionally. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, sp- I suppose that was the first time I really sort of decided to get into writing. I th- and I think that's so
1: important as a kid and as I guess as teachers. Um, I'm not really a teacher other than the people who listen to the podcast, but. To introduce these different ideas and to give kids an opportunity to write their own ghost story, that seems like the perfect little seed to plant. And for someone like you, it grows into something later on. And I just think that's so great.
2: <laughs> it was, because when they said, we were, with this term, we're doing ghost stories, I was like, yes! yes. <laughs>
1: Cause
2: I, cause I just, everybody loves a good ghost story, mm-hmm. don't they? So, Well, almost everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember doing the monkey's paw. Actually, we studied that in in that unit as well. That was one of them. So yeah, there's all these sort of creepy old stories that were, and then of course Susan Hill and the Woman in Black and this, this sort of new generation. But of course she's kind of old fashioned ghost story as well. Mm-hmm. So I I think that that introduced to that old fashioned type of storytelling was was just brilliant for me. <laughs>
0: And I always find it really fascinating with where inspiration comes from or, or how things begin for people that it's always about asking the right question. Uh, when a professor asks you the right question for the first time, oh, do you want to write a ghost story? You should write a ghost story. It's like, oh, yeah, that that, that kind of speaks to me. And then you don't really know that something, Oh, you don't always know that something that's really uh, in you that you're capable of until you actually try it. Um, but once that fascination begins uh, after that questions kind of germinated in your brain, then it then um it's just interesting to see how this blossoms out of people that they just find this something that just they gravitate towards that really excites them.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's just it's just finding that that kind of style of writing that that speaks to you. So I don't know it's a cliche, but it speaks to you. Uh, of course if a ghost story actually starts speaking to you, you're probably in trouble, but you know what I mean. <laughs> There might be a ghost story in that one. <laughs> so, um, Catherine,
0: when creating a story, where does your initial inspiration come from?
2: Ooh, um, I don't know actually, because I have quite a chaotic brain. <laughs> so it's sort of the things that are just sort of pieced together out of various things that have been like, I have an interest in mythology, um as well. So look, one of the stories that Dan put on the Wicked Library was actually um The Darkness Within
1: mm-hmm. which was
2: one of my earlier ones. And that had a sort of an element of an element of mythology in there, you know, with like Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, when he asked me where the idea for that one came from, I completely forgot to mention Pandora's box, even though it's obviously <laughs> the most obvious element of it. I forgot. So I'm mentioning it now. Um <laughs> uh, the Pandora's box and then there's the kind of the that theme of the lady of the lake, you know, and the sort of the city hidden beneath the lake. That kind of inspired mm-hmm. the lake, obviously, in that story. So it it's kind of various things, some sort of mythology or maybe other stories that I read and it's just sparked. I, I, it's very difficult because I don't always know where these things come from. <laughs> My brain just goes, here, have this. <laughs> it How actually, am I supposed to do that? <laughs>
0: it actually qu- uh, reminded me quite a bit of this uh, this game called, um, oh, what's it called? Um, the Last Door. It, there's a there's a section of the game towards the end of the first season of the it's actually broken up into seasons it's this old school kind of point and click adventure game uh that's been made modern and and it's really like simple pixel art but it's extraordinarily atmospheric and um there's a section of the game where that happens where there's like you know you have to create water from nothing and it just really uh just really drew me in and I I don't know why I made that connection but I I play a lot of video games but (laughs) um (laughs) But Jeanette's played it too, so mm-hmm. she kinda knows what I'm talking about. That it's like this kind of slow burning, you know, horror. It's that
1: creeping horror, that sense of dread that is so clear in your style of writing because uh we were just listening to your Parsec award winning episode of The Wicked Library, and uh it it was the same thing. You have this character who is being uh spiritually stalked by someone and it's just you know something really really bad is gonna happen and you just let it grow so slowly that <laughs> it just gives you the creeps just like what's gonna
2: happen i'm glad it came off like that because i'm always it's hard to judge your own work and when i'm writing it like does this creep up on people is this creepy or is it just a bit Sort of twee and overly Victorian, and not really getting. Because it, it's hard to tell whether you create it because because you plotted and planned every line and written it. You are like by the end, you're like, I I don't know whether this is creepy or not anymore. <laughs> I just have to wait till it's out there until people go, "This is terrible." <laughs> <laughs> so it's always a relief if someone says they liked you. Like, yeah,
0: I think I think that that happens with all writers that you just mm-hmm. kind of. You're, you're with that story for so long that it's almost like the words stop making sense. They stop having meaning. And anything Word. that actually has build or atmosphere or tension seems flat to you because you've experienced it over and over again in whatever, how many drafts you've, you've written. Um, and so it's hard to judge when you're in the story, when you're creating the story, whether it's actually going to be effective or not until somebody else reads it. And definitely when we had um the thing we did recently for uh the wicked library for their uh was it like for the
1: uh, they had an extra episode
0: extra episode for the
1: uh patreon for the
0: Patreons. sorry <laughs> my brain is totally asleep <laughs> for the patron uh patrons and um when we initially did it when I recorded it with jeanette um it to me it didn't sound like anything it just sounded flat or just not very good and then when you know Dan got a hold of it and took it and put it all together and added all the production to it, it brought it to life and it made it a lot more engaging than I ever thought it could be. So definitely when you translate from one format to another, whether you read it out loud to um, when you have somebody else read it, there's, a, there's an exchange of energy and there's a little bit of a different experience depending, depending on the reader and depending if it's a, you know read aloud or if it's read internally. Uh, quietly there's a different effect so yeah it's it's really hard to gauge those things but I, I really find your work to be uh, consistently creepy
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you
0: <laughs> you're welcome
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah I what you said there about different formats actually I that's one of the reasons I was I was very happy when when Dan wanted to put my work on the wicked library and um and then asked me to write for the lift although I was kind of terrified of writing for the lift because yeah. it was somebody else's characters and situation and a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. But I, there's something about that oral storytelling that's really compelling. And sometimes I think it can bring it to life more than if you're necessarily reading it on the page. Um, I have an audio collection of the M.R. James ghost stories, actually. Nice. And I quite often I like to just put those on and listen to them because there's something about it being read out loud almost makes the stories live in a way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's like my English teacher used to say about Shakespeare. Not that I'm comparing myself to Shakespeare in <laughs> any way. <laughs> but you can read the play on the page and it doesn't necessarily... You can think, oh, this is quite dull, this isn't really... I don't get it, what's funny about that? But you see it in performance and when you start to bring the the characters and they're all brought to life and you you see it and you're like, "Ah, oh, now I get it. Yeah. So, <laughs> there's something there about having a storyteller sort of performing it to you that kind of brings out nuances that you didn't even necessarily know as a writer were there Mm
1: -hmm.
2: that it because because every performer you know will find different things in it because every reader finds different things so i yeah I, i like that translation into audio so the Wicked Library is great for that. So listen to the Wicked Library. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Most definitely. And we were actually very uh, happy to hear uh, Victoria pop in and shadows. So that
2: was cool. <laughs> yes, that was a surprise to me. It it's only afterwards when it had been recorded, Dan went, oh, by the way, we <laughs> have got this child in. So we've got Victoria. I was like, oh, brilliant. Nice mashup. Like it. <laughs> Because it was so perfect. I
1: was just like, oh, hey, Victoria. <laughs> what are I you like doing she... a cameo here for? <laughs>
2: this creepy Victorian child. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> Victoria into the breach.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she has a way of working her way into things.
2: <laughs> well, she is everywhere.
1: It's true. <laughs> so when you're writing a story and you're first getting started, do you find yourself being motivated by the characters by the location or some other aspect
2: of the story to me it's (laughs) so I say I'm quite chaotic with my writing (laughs) so you have to excuse me if I'm waffling I have quite a chaotic brain um (laughs) Uh, yeah it's usually it's usually the idea of what type of haunting or creature or whatever the the premise of the story is going to be. And then I know a lot of writers say, you shouldn't do that. You should have your characters in place first, but I am what I am. (laughs) And it's usually the creepy thing that comes first. And then I kind of plot the characters around it. So like in Shadows, I had the idea of this. I thought, well, stalkers are creepy. That's something modern people can relate to because stalkers are creepy. There's no getting around that. And I thought, well, what if they could, what if there was like a supernatural type of stalker that could, you know, stalk you even when he's not physically there? You know, so you never knew when he was watching, even when you were alone, he could be watching you. So that kind of, that kind of was the seed of that one. And then I kind of built up the characters around that the premise. So I'm, I probably work a little bit backwards to it the way some other writers do. But yeah, for me, it's it's the spooky element first.
1: That actually makes me feel a little bit better, because any time I try to write horror, I end up going with, well, what what spooky thing do I want to do? <laughs> so, I you're not alone.
2: <laughs> I, ha- I have actually been known to make, try and make lists when I'm trying to brainstorm for a new idea of, like, hmm, what can we write? Uh, let's see, werewolf, vampire, creepy stalker. Ah, oh, creepy stalker! Uh, <laughs> so, so I haven't got around to werewolves or vampires yet, I'm- <laughs>
1: I'm excited when you do. I'm going to definitely read those. <laughs> I would love to hear your take on those.
2: I'd like to tackle the wonder. is like, how do you do something original? with You know, it's with such an old premise. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that that's going to that's gonna need some work.
0: <laughs> so, Catherine, how long does it typically take for you to complete a story from first draft to final draft?
2: Oh, my God. You don't want to know. <laughs> oh, but
0: oh, yes, we're we so curious.
2: It's yeah, <laughs> a long time. I me mean, my first volume that came out I think there were there were six stories in it when it came out as um initially as uh, a Spirited Evening and other stories. There were only six stories in it but it must have taken me about a year or more just to write these things. I am so slow. <laughs> when well, you get these writers is like, Oh, I've only managed to get three books out this year and you know, I was planning for that. I was like, I hate you. <laughs> Not, not literally. <laughs> I don't literally hate other authors. I was <laughs> like, how do you do it? I can't even write five short stories in a year. How do you people do it? It's witchcraft. <laughs> and <laughs> and we, I am a very very slow writer.
0: <laughs> no worries. We did have, uh, I'll, I'll send you a link later, but we had this lady, uh, Libby Hawker, on the show, and she uh, wrote down her techniques for, you know, expediting the process, and she writes, like, a couple of books a year, yeah. yeah. She she's written like I think in like four years she's written like thirty six books or something.
2: Yes, yeah, I, don't, I, I don't hate other authors. I am in awe of them. Did I? The, because I am just I'm like I don't know how you do it. It
1: it it is I, magic. I, I, it is just like you said, witchcraft.
2: <laughs> I'm hoping as I get more experience that I'll get faster. <laughs> Yeah, my brain will start sparking a bit more but yeah
0: <laughs> no, i think it comes down to technique and and how you approach writing and yeah she's got some really great uh advice in her book so i'll send you a link
2: oh thank you i think i need that book
1: <laughs> <laughs> so when you are working on a story um since it does take you a little bit longer than like some of the other authors that we've talked to i'm definitely curious what your process is like when you start to tackle a story do you spend it do you just like leave it in a drawer a lot or, or are you actively working on it
2: um I tend to dip in and out uh, mm-hmm. I, well I have I have been studying um so I just finished my degree this year that took a very long time as well because I've been studying part-time and I've been fitting so I've been sort of to in and fro in between writing i had to put writing on hold Mm -hmm. for a while um to concentrate on my final module because i was like my brain's going to explode Um, (laughs) so yeah i I, i'm not sure i even have a process um i kind of i tend to dip in and out i tend to hit a lot of Mm roadblocks quite bad it's like how am i gonna get around that but if he does that then well, that doesn't make sense because why would he do that if he's done that? I don't, I, oh, I give up. I need a cup of tea. <laughs> so I'm I, I'm not as disciplined as some writers, so my mm-hmm. my technique is like let let it stew for a bit and come back to it. And yeah, so I'm I, I'm I'm quite chaotic in most of <laughs> most things. <laughs> yeah, don't I- don't follow my process. I don't have one.
0: <laughs> well, I think that the process of like if, a, if an idea is strong enough, it stays with you. And I feel that as a writer myself as well, that that's kind of how it works for me. Sometimes I'll just get either really, you know, kind of stuck in a story and I just leave it, you know, leave it alone for a bit. Or um, the scene I'm creating is just so painful for me personally that I have to take some time away from it emotionally so that I can come back and, and then tackle it again.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think space is definitely a good thing, because I've been in that situation where I've written something and gone, oh my god, that's just awful, and I've gone off and I've, I've, I can't even bear to look at it, and you come back a couple of months later and you re it and go, oh actually that's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think sometimes you just need to give yourself a bit of space from it, because as a writer, you're obviously very close to what you're writing, mm-hmm. especially if you're putting, as you say, something personally emotional in there that means something to you. You 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 do kind of need to to step away and distance yourself from it and come to it as a reader rather than as the writer. And go, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I can see now, and then it, maybe it comes unstuck eventually. We hope, we hope. Because <laughs> <We
0: hope. laughs> Jeanette did we did Nano in in November. I don't know if you've ever tackled uh, National Novel Writing Month before.
2: Um, oh, I to, oh, if it takes me like a year to write a short story, <laughs> I like no Like I just, those things, it's on the bucket list. I would love to do it.
0: Yeah,
2: I need a big enough idea to, it's taking me this long to write a novella.
0: <laughs> well, that's why I, I kind of started off, I had another novel I was writing, and then um, I decided to start with something fresh specifically for NaNoWriMo, and that turned into my now current focus, and for Jeanette, like Jeanette's not typically, I mean, she loves to read, but she doesn't write very often. She mm-hmm. she draws and, and paints and stuff like that more often than she draws, or, and then she writes. So, um, but she actually wrote way more than I did. She wrote like 40,000 words. It's like, you're supposed to write 50,000 words in a month. She wrote 40,000 words. I only hit 20,000. And for me personally, the reason why I only hit 20,000 is that my story was so personal and so difficult to write for me emotionally that... I couldn't get myself to sit there and write every single day because I think it would have wrecked me mm-hmm. uh, to do so. So I really needed to take that time. And, and so I've only reached like 20,000 words in a month. Um, but I'm definitely glad I'm taking it on because it's uh, kind of cathartic. And I feel that uh, NaNoWriMo itself is cathartic. I think if you take a story you don't care about and you try to tackle it and try to write fifty four thousand words of a story you don't care about in November, that at least you know internally frees you that you don't have to worry about messing up something you actually like and just having fun with the process of trying to you know uh write something that that big in that in that short a period of time like uh the process i would take on is is treating each chapter almost as a short story you know and and so you're you're thinking about it as a, as a section of a of a larger story but you're looking at it as a scene and you're kind of treating that scene as a short story and that makes the process for me a little easier like you know, coming up with a specific title for each chapter and 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 thinking of it as a story, as opposed to a uh, piece of a story.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I am, I'm in awe of anyone who's tackled nano So I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of you both, because I think, I think it's just, it's an amazing thing to do, and I think it's a brilliant idea. I just, I, I haven't quite got myself there yet, and I know it's. I need, I need. Uh, basically, I need to kick up the backs after. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I love, I love the idea of being able to sit there and being that disciplined and being able to do it and c- connecting with, with, with a story that big. But I'm just, I just, I have small ideas. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> you have grand stories. That yeah, you get do. Trapped in just a couple pages. I really am. Uh, impressed with how much atmosphere, how much story, how much character you do wrap into what is, you know, just a short story. It's not just a short story. That stuff takes time to polish and make beautiful. And uh, that's part of why we wanted to talk to you is because you do that incredibly well. Um, So to uh, shift focus just a little bit, our topic today is atmosphere, um, which is something that in classic horror has always excelled at and something that you are very good at building so what is your process if you have one if not that's totally fine but when you're building in atmosphere into your stories how does that come
2: through well sometimes in the initial draft i find that things are a little bit flat on the page Mm -hmm. that's what first drafts are for um but I, tr- I- I try and kick myself to remember to use the senses as much as possible um like recently, I was rereading uh a Lefanu story Joseph Sheridan lefanneu uh, account of some strange disturbances in Angel Street I think it's pronounced um and for quite a while you don't actually see what it is uh, he he sees sort of a basic portrait outside his window of what's haunting him at first but the really creepy bit is the fact that he's hearing this step every night on the stairs these big fat floppy steps going down and he doesn't know what's causing it and for me that's that's the kind of thing it's that thing that's going in the on off in the corner of your senses that you're sort of picking up on but you you don't know mm-hmm. what it is and that that's the kind of thing i try to incorporate is the is 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 the senses that like you can hear it? You you know it's there, but whatever it's like in shadows. It was very deliberately. It was a shadow. So she knew she knew it was him, but she couldn't. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's not listened to it yet or read it yet. Um, but yeah, she she's not she's not seeing him as such. She's seeing this shadow, which could be anything you know but she's convinced it's him and then it's like people are like you're crazy woman is a shadow what are you on? so yeah it, it's that thing that's going on in the at the edges of the senses that that i think for me that's what creates atmosphere and what i try to capture
0: when someone speaks of atmosphere in a story what elements of that story do you feel uh, they're referencing like what comes to mind to you when you, when you think about atmosphere
2: to me, atmosphere. Again, it's that it's that kind of it's that feeling of not quite knowing what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the reasons that I write in Victorian style and setting. It's because I think it's quite. I mean, I love the fact that if anyone can pull it off in the modern in a modern setting that's brilliant because I think that is quite a challenging thing because in the old days, if you had, um, if you think about it, gas light, lamp light, the sort of, and the fog and not, not knowing what's out there in the darkness, you can't just get up and switch on an electric light or turn on the telly if, if things are getting creepy. Um, It's, I think you, you, you're very much alone in the dark, it's just you and the shadows, and there's that thing if you never know what's out in the shadows. For me, that's what atmosphere is all about. It's not not knowing quite what's out there with you, what's occupying the same space as you without you knowing. And that
1: that definitely, I think that's where the fear from this type of horror comes from too, is you are isolated in the dark, except you're not alone. And that was definitely something in your your story, Shadows on the Wicked Library, that was, oh man, I've had those nights where you wake up in the middle of the night, someone is in here, I know it, I know there's someone just Mm -hmm. standing over me, and you're too afraid to go, for us, to go turn on the light switch and go, no, no, no one's here, but to have that extra, in the past you don't have electricity, and have that, well I have to light a candle now and your hands might be shaking, and then you get into that. That's why that atmosphere grows, is because there is that slowing down of a response. I think in Victorian horror that you you seem to play with is you can't just go click okay no I'm safe. It's you have to with the shaking hand strike a match and then hope that you can light a candle and I, I just it is that it's the slowing down that builds the atmosphere. It's the characters and it's that lurking dread that you've talked about so well.
2: Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing with... Nowadays, you know, if you, it's like if you're lying in the dark in bed at night and there's a sudden noise, you go, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. And you, sw- you switch the light on and go, oh, my pen fell off the table. <laughs> of course, in the Victorian era, you're lighting a candle and all you're doing is, by lighting a candle or a gas lamp, you're, you're creating shadows. You're kind mm. of making it worse for yourself. <laughs> you're like, oh my God, what's in the shadow? But I... We all, its like—it's like that feeling when you get a power cut and everything's just a little bit different, and you swear mm-hmm. things have moved and they're not quite where they were <laughs> when the lights were on. It's like—is there something else here? Is that—is that kind of creepy sensation of not quite knowing what's going on? Mm-hmm. It's there's like there's this bit in a in a Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, where Marley says that he doesn't know how he can see him now because he stood beside him at his elbow year upon year and scrooge is like that's a really unpleasant thought the idea that's been this ghost of your dead partner has been stood there watching you all these years and you didn't know he was there that's absolutely that kind of what else is occupying this space that's to me the atmosphere and the fear are all connected it's very much a human mindset
0: very much so and um so I I recently passed my part one hundred seven unmanned aircraft exam for drone flying for aerial photography, and one of the things that they were talking about in there was vision, and I, I I had I think I'd read about this before, and I I just you know remembered it again when I was reading it and how interesting that was where during the daylight hours, uh, your center of vision is wherever your eyes pointing at wherever you're looking is that's where the the main focus uh, is. But at night, when your eyes adjust to the dark, what ends up happening is the center of your vision, the very center uh, line of focus of your, your, uh, of your vision is actually at your blind spot. So your, uh, whatever's going to be actually sharp is going to be slightly to the left of your uh, center of vision. Left or right, center, uh, slightly to the center or, I'm sorry. Whatever's going to actually be sharp for your vision is going to be slightly to the left or right of your center of vision. So if you actually look slightly askew, uh, then that's what's going to be the sharp The thing is the most sharp and the most in focus. Whereas in the dead center of your eye, where you're looking straight, is actually your blind spot.
1: That's a terrifying Ooh. thought. <laughs> it's kind of creepy, isn't it? Yeah. it.
0: <laughs> so when your eyes like, you know, shifting adjustment, like if you were to light a candle and then have that turn on. Is and... that
1: why you see things out of the corner of your eye in the dark? It is. What? Because they're really there oh my god <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm going home <laughs> like, and, b- bye and, because, guys.
0: and because you're not actually you you're you're trained to look straight at something mm-hmm. but when you're looking straight at something it's almost like it's there's nothing there and then whatever is the, slightly to the left or right of your direct line of sight of vision is what's sharpened and in focus and moving so you you're you're seeing what's left and right but you can't see what's right in front of you in the dark
1: All those times you thought you were alone and you looked straight at the corner of the room.
2: You weren't. (laughs) You don't know what's lurking in the corner. You don't.
0: (laughs) It's almost like you have to retrain your brain of how to look at things in the dark in order to actually be able to see them correctly.
2: Who knows what you might start
1: seeing, though. I don't want to (laughs) see them. I don't want to think there's nothing there. (laughs) So... You have t- already talked about this a little bit, um, but I wanted to rewind and touch base again. You had mentioned M.R. James, and I was curious what other authors really inspired you as a kid or as you were growing as uh, uh, into an adult writer. Um. Well,
2: as a child, we didn't we didn't have an awful lot of books around um we weren't a particularly literary family we had a load of second-hand Enid Blytons for some reason which might be why I'm a bit like oh, tea time with nanny type <laughs> like, I'm a bit old-fashioned writing I didn't read that many modern books which is probably why so I just naturally write a bit Victorian um so yeah there was, there was MRJs there was a little bit of Edgar Allan Poe when I discovered that book in the library um but Poe can sometimes be a bit <laughs> this might sound strange for a for a writer of ghost stories, but I don't particularly like being scared.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know that's a weird statement, but it to me it's the it's the kind of the mystery and the unknown that appeals to me. Mm-hmm. And Poe, which is probably to his benefit, does scare me a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes, in a way that I'm scared for him because I think the man is probably it's like, where did this stuff come from? <laughs> <laughs> There's this one called. Berenice, and anyone who's read it, I, I listened to an audio version read by Vincent Price, and the bit at the end with the little box, anyone who's read it, that story is seriously creepy. Yep. But in like a, like, ugh, that's gross type creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and and Edgar Allan Poe had this kind of thing about premature burial. He did he did one or two that mentioned premature burial, so that kind of thing. So there was a, that kind of creepy I do I do like Poe, but I kind of have to brace myself before I read it because I know he's going to creep me out. <laughs> uh, so, so there's a bit of Poe, M.R. James, and, like I said, Conan Doyle. Mm-hmm. As I discovered, as I got a little bit older, I started to uh, read some of his uh, sort of more horror stuff. Because everyone, you think, Conan Doyle, everyone thinks Sherlock Holmes, obviously, mm-hmm. but there's like this this is other side to him it's like these sort of horror and mystery stories as well which i'd recommend he has one called actually the terror of blue john gap which although not absolutely horrendously scary is is brilliant because it's set in derbyshire nice. <laughs> so i'm just gonna i'm gonna plug that one um so, yeah, I think anyone who's only read the Sherlock Holmes stories, it's like is the other side of Conan Doyle that's worth sort of exploring. And then as, as the last few years I started to read a little bit of Algernon Blackwood as well, but nice. not recently I've kind of sort of forgotten the ones. that I've got a terrible brain, I read these short stories and then I can't remember who wrote them, where I read them. <laughs> I have to go searching through all the books and read them all over again until I find them, <laughs> which, which which isn't a bad Thing, no. <laughs> um, yeah a little bit of alton blackwood as as well he has this you talk about atmosphere and the unknown there's uh, there's a story i do remember by alton blackwood called i think it was called the uh, the man who found out and he basically sets out trying to find uh, and translate these tablets that he believes were left by the first sort of gods or civilization explaining the purpose of humankind and the meaning of life, and he finds out, and it doesn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that kind of like, hmm, it, it's that idea of it's unknown. It's if you find out, maybe it's just so much worse if you know what's actually out there, why it's there. So yeah, Algernon Blackwood, I like, I like as well. But it's, yeah, it's been mostly M.R. James and Doyle. I'd say were my biggest influences.
0: What was the uh, Terror of the Blue Dawn? What was that again, I'm sorry?
2: Oh, Terror of Blue John Gap. Blue John Uh, Gap. Yeah, there's this uh, rare type of... (laughs) I'm going to sound so boring now. There's this rare type of floor spa that you only really find in Derbyshire, Mm -hmm. in Castleton. Uh, So he set it there, and the idea of these Blue John Caves, that there might be something lurking subterranean... Under the caves that hold the Blue John, out in Derbyshire. So it's yeah. I sound like such a geek now. I, don't <laughs> I love it. I'm like, oh, I haven't <laughs> read that one yet, and I'm writing it down.
1: So <laughs> i go find it's it. It's not
2: hugely scary, but again, it's that kind of what's lurking. And because it's always dark in the cave, you never really sees nice. what the monster is. So it's left to the imagination. So I do, I do like the way he he plays with that.
1: That's the best. I love when your imagination your imagination is left to fill in the gaps. It's like what's lurking in the dark because it's so much worse when you just have to guess.
2: That's that's one of the reasons I like I prefer sort of audio adaptations of stories to films mm-hmm. and TV mm-hmm. because I think there's only so much you can do. You can't really if you show the monster, you've you've, you've blown it. Mhm. And there's only so much you can do to build the atmosphere without actually seeing the monster on TV. I think in audio, you can just, like they say, radio has the best pictures. <laughs> it's just left to the imagination, and it's like you can those layers of sound that you build up. I think I think, I think I think in more <laughs> in more of an an oral way rather than a visual way, for me. So with a sound more than the visual.
0: So, Catherine, did you enjoy ghost stories as a child?
2: I, I did. Um, yes. Uh, sort of discovering Mr. James was like a turning point for me because I remember reading Oh, Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad," and that freaked me out. <laughs> that, the bit with the bed sheets and the, as a child reading that, you're like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> But it is—it's sort of disappointing now as an adult that I, it doesn't give me quite the same thrill as it did as a child, and mm-hmm. you're like, I kind of miss that. Because that that bit where where it sits up in the bed when you know it's empty and there's like this thing sitting up in the bed, you're like. Oh. <laughs> as a child, that was that was brilliant to me. That a whistle and I'll come to you was the essence of ghost story for mm-hmm. me as a child.
0: And I actually think with the uh, the new incarnation of the uh, film version of It. kind of did that for me because of the fact that they did such a great job of kind of putting you in the mindset of a young person and and that, you know, what adolescence is like and the dangers that that adolescence presents on its own and then to add this additional layer of terror, just the way they communicated that in the new version of the story was super effective for me and reminded me, kind of brought me back to how I felt uh, when I... you know uh, experienced horror for the first time
2: yeah there's there's definitely something you you experience more as a child Mm -hmm. it's a little bit of what i was playing with 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 shadows actually is because as as humans we're kind of programmed i don't know if you ever done that thing when you were a child and you'd wake up in the night and you couldn't get back to sleep and Mm -hmm. you'd sort of start picking out patterns and trying to see faces in the patterns in wallpaper or the shadow on the curtains or Mm -hmm. you you start to try to pick out things it's that kind of the way a, a child's brain works especially it's like your imagination kind of runs away with itself and I think trying to recapture that for an adult audience as well is is brilliant but I haven't seen the new it I haven't seen it it's, I'm it's, so bad at No, That's okay. It's I, pretty. I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It might actually scare you. <laughs> I have a vague recollection of seeing the old one many, mm-hmm. many, many years ago. I make myself sound ancient, but many, <laughs> many years ago, um, I have a vague recollection. I really, I really ought to watch more horror. I <laughs> ah, just listened no more.
0: <laughs> I don't. I don't think I actually ever personally lost that childlike terror and view of the world. Um, I, I think it just never left me. So, you know, I, I just find little things kind of tweak me out. I know we, we live in an older multifamily house that's built in the 1800s. And so at night we have two cats and we have neighbors that make noise. And then we have the house itself that makes noise. So there's always something around the corner to keep, creep us out in the dark. So that's yeah. <laughs> just how it is.
2: <laughs> I We... Um... We we live in a semi-detached house, so it's um, sometimes if if like somebody drops something next door, you you'll hear it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's like this thump in the night because someone drops something. You're like <gasps> and me and my sister have this, like, this joke going about maybe it's number thirteen next door. Oh, I don't no. actually do. <laughs> <that. laughs> I that, don't live at number twelve or fourteen, but <laughs> that's
0: that's got to be a story <laughs> now. The number thirteen next door is now Sorry. yours. <laughs> Yeah, that's gonna be your next story. It should be it should be number thirteen next door. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how my name is at Fiona
1: Uh They'll just have to know that they need to be quieter and not so clumsy. That's all. <laughs> oh
2: no, we're far more clumsy than they are. They're fine. <laughs> oh, no, no.
1: <laughs> I feel like our downstairs neighbors probably like, oh my god, how does they keep dropping things? Because I drop stuff all the time. Just like, oh, I always feel like I should say sorry. Every time I drop something, no, it's, just thing, it's just
2: the tiniest little noise in your house. But it sounds really loud. Like, like you drop something upstairs, you don't even notice, but downstairs are going, "What the?" <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs>
0: occasionally, we get this like pleasant atmosphere, and I'm like, "Where is that music coming from?" And then I remember it's the neighbor's daughter downstairs practicing her ukulele.
1: Yeah, It's a very
0: like, s- like just like a sweet, charming, light sound in the background. You're like, oh, someone have the radio on? Like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, okay,
2: oh, got it. It's our musical neighbor. <laughs> I, th- I think if you lived in like a detached cottage somewhere, it'd be really. I think that would be creepier Not having the sort of the noises of life around you. Yeah. Like, oh, it's far too quiet. I don't like it.
1: <laughs> I think I, if uh, when we move out of here, and if it's like not a multifamily home. I won't have neighbors to blame thumps and bumps on,
2: and I'll be more worried. <laughs> That's the thing is now you can just go. Oh, it's fine. It's probably just next door it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's easy to write it off. It's, it's not. It's not the ghost hiding in the attic. It's not. It's not. There.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> we actually had some very unique acoustics at this place we used to live in in Meriden, Connecticut. There was a house we I had that. Um, half of the house was underground and half was above ground, but then right past our, our, house, like maybe a couple of feet over to the side of our house, was like a giant drop off, uh, to like a, a, a like a, like a huge hill, like a very steep straight drop down hill for maybe, you know, like a hundred, 200 feet. And then there's like a gas station. So anybody who'd pull into the gas station or drive past the gas station or walk around the gas station to be this weird echo that would come up from the hill and then reverberate into the basement. And then when the door was open to the basement, uh, going downstairs, it would sound like someone's in the house.
1: Ooh. Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> that would creep <treat> me out. <laughs> there were so many times I would be home alone and then hear what sounded like a thump, like someone had just closed the door downstairs and then a man's voice was just like, oh my God. <laughs> Grab my bat and then go downstairs. Uh me? it was awful we
2: get a bit of that here because um i live in a valley mm-hmm. so sometimes if you're out and there's a sudden noise you like, it, it does something weird to the sound sometimes and you can't quite tell which direction it's coming from mm-hmm. and it's kind of ooh, yeah it's kind of <laughs> because you can't quite pin the sounds down it's kind of there's, there's lots of country lanes good for inspiration in derbyshire it's very creepy. Nice. <laughs> There's always like a noise in the undergrowth or something. You're like, I'm sure it's a, it's a squirrel. It's not the undead. Come back to get me. It's just a squirrel. Maybe, but I'm going to walk faster anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I uh, want to get by a squirrel up a lane. So that's quite creepy in itself. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> and, and acoustics are just so fascinating. And it definitely that's a big part of creating atmosphere. Like there was this uh, rumor about a, uh, uh, a, a scientist getting assassinated. And where he was living was at the top of this hill, and all these other houses were like stacked one under one under the next, going down the hill. So anything that would happen in the top of the hill would reverberate all the way down. So when the uh, this rumor had gone that this scientist had killed himself, and then um, it made no sense to anybody because nobody heard a gunshot uh, at all, and and then the police had like uh, um, actually uh reported that there was a suicide and then they had got on the scene and like you know the neighbors are like we never heard anything and nothing ever went off so there was like this rumor that the scientist actually had been uh, assassinated but because Ooh. of acoustics it just made no sense because if someone sneezed in that house everybody would have heard it going all the way down that hill just hmm. the way the acoustics worked
2: well that's kind of creepy isn't it? yeah <laughs> that's definitely oh, creepy. You to be careful what you did wouldn't you seriously <laughs> Be careful how loud you argue. Everyone's gonna know your business. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, those
1: guys—they're—they're they're having another argument today. What'd she do? Oh, she burned the toast. Oh no! <laughs> Just sitting in your porch listening. <laughs> Who needs TV <laughs> when you have dramatic neighbors? So, what advice would you give someone who wants to work on the atmosphere in their writing?
2: Well, I'm probably the worst person to ask because because I, 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 I'm still, I still feel like quite a newbie, so I'm still still learning myself. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I say definitely focusing on the senses is something I always have to kick myself to, to try and remember. (laughs) <laughs> is to make sure that I've incorporated the senses, sound in particular, as we were saying, because it's... Sometimes the imagination can really spark off the sounds you can hear. But when, when, once you see something, you're like, I know what I'm dealing with now, but when you can hear it, or even smell it, ghosts that you can smell. that I've, I've seen stories before, that like you, just that sudden waft of old lady perfume, where's it coming from?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know?
2: Um, so, yeah, as it's sound and... Smell and even touch you know if something touches you in the darkness and you don't know what it is, you can just feel something touch your hand that's that's creepy, so as yeah would say definitely focusing on the senses and not necessarily entirely on the eyes as we're quite prone to do mm-hmm. it's 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 what it's what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can hear
1: It would be interesting to have someone uh talk about what they can taste, like do you ever have a moment where like Maybe if there's a thunderstorm. You can smell that ozone in the air, but does it
2: have a taste to it, I wonder? I've never that's, really thought about it. That's intriguing. I have never think I've ever read a ghost story where someone had a haunted taste in the mouth. I did once see, a, I think it was an episode of, is it Supernatural? Mm-hmm. It was like one of those um, sort of 70s British horror series things. I bought a DVD a while back, and there was, there was a haunting in that that affected the they drank this wine and it tasted of blood to them and they, they started choking on the Christmas Turkey and that, cause it tasted oh. vile. So yeah, I, I, th- I don't think I've ever read one that incorporates taste. that, that would be quite, I'll make a note of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, th- I think I
0: actually heard something about that. Some people would have a metallic taste in their mouth right before a thunderstorm.
1: Oh, there you go. Oh. See, that's interesting. I feel like we all need to go investigate the taste of fear. (laughs) The taste
2: of fear. I like it. I like it. It sounds sounds like a novel. (laughs) Right? Or a TV show. Sounds like a TV show. I like it.
0: (laughs) And there was also an actual scientific study about how um, different emotions change how things taste.
2: That's true.
1: It's a really interesting study. And it was actually music that they were using to... Mm -hmm get people to a different emotional state so different types of music would change how you taste something so like fast paced exciting music makes spicy tastes come out of your you know, out of what you're, whatever you're eating more than something slow and dramatic which might Ooh, bring uh, out the sweetness
2: of something um, we'll, we'll have to brilliant. find that can someone tell me what to listen to to make sprouts taste nice because that would be <laughs> <reason for> that <laughs> um what uh? Heavy metal. metal.
0: <laughs> I'd say polka. Polka would polka? do it. Yeah, that would. No, do it.
1: that'll make it taste worse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to investigate that.
0: <laughs> so, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on our show.
2: Thank you for having
0: me. What? A question mark. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, we harassed you so much, but I'm really glad you allowed us to. <laughs>
0: So where can our audience find more about KB Goddard
2: and your work? Oh, I'm everywhere at the moment. Um, if you Google me, I'm on Twitter as KB Goddard, Facebook as KB Goddard, Instagram, although I don't use that very much. Um, I'm on the Wicked Library, The Lift, uh, Goodreads, <laughs> Shadows at the Door, you can uh, WordPress, Uh kbgoddard.wordpress.com. I'm um, yeah. I'm 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 all over the internet. I'm all over that. So <laughs> just just Google me. You can't miss me. <laughs> Perfect.
0: KB Goddard is everywhere.
2: I'm everywhere. I am remind you. I want to
1: you.
0: <laughs> I love it.
2: I'm sorry. That makes me sound like a complete weirdo. I do apologize. I think I think oh, whisp- no. <laughs> whispering
0: in, whispering into a microphone is the most effective thing ever. I was uh, just to make something a little more light. Uh, I was working on a film years ago. It's an action, you know, a uh, uh, martial arts film that I was I was a cinematographer a long time ago, and uh I'm I was friends with the 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 lead actor who's also the director and the writer of the production, and he's doing this like montage sequence where he's like you know greased up and lifting weights and whatever, just showing that his muscles and showing that he's preparing for the fight and i'm i'm filming directly above him while he's benching uh with the weights and i have the headphones right in my ear and i had the boom up um put the microphone where it needed to be and and so i was i was actually monitoring the audio and recording the scene and then when it was done you know that his his voice is just right in my ear and he just looks up at me and he whispers i can't quit you <laughs>
1: No, thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it was just the creepiest thing to send the most uh, just creepy chills in me. Where he'd just like be a greased up man looking up at me saying, I can't quit you in, in a whispering tone.
1: <laughs> so on that note, thank you for visiting us, KB Goddard, Catherine. And uh, we'll make sure we have links in the show notes for everyone to find where to find your work and everything else that you mentioned opi Bye bye <laughs> bye bye thank you so much for listening you lovely wonderful people
0: we make this show for you to grow and learn with us so let us know what you think
1: and you can do that by leaving us a rating and a review on itunes so we can continue to improve the show
0: the thing tapping on your window
1: the creature scratching somewhere in the dark above you.
0: The disembodied voice calling to you softly from nowhere at all.
1: All are welcome to leave reviews for our show.
0: <laughs> the creepier, the better.
1: Stay tuned after the commercials for a short poem from this week's hashtag Horror Haikus post over at horrormade.com.
0: This has been the ninth story podcast I'm Alexander.
1: And I'm Jeanette. Stay creative, my friends. Bye, everyone. Bye! Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Ghosts. Once upon a time, in a land not so far away, there were the screams of children that echoed every day. No one could find them. No one could save them. Their fates were sealed long before the cement had condemned them. This poem was written by me, Jeanette Andromeda, and you can find this poem, the art that accompanies it, and the horror haiku inspired by my art at horrormaid.com. That's H-O-R-R-O-R-M-A-D-E dot com. Stay creative, my friends. Bye.